Welcome to Thought Crime and Keto Crime, where Tracy does the sleuthing so you don't have to. Welcome to Thought Crime and Keto Crime, where Tracy does the sleuthing so you don't have to. Hey everyone, welcome back to Thought Crime and Keto and Crime, part two of our story of the saga of Alcatraz. As we left off in our last one, you remember the Battle of Alcatraz concluded on May 4th, 1946 with the deaths of the three ringleaders and later on the execution of two of the three that were left alive after it through the three convicts. It also resulted in the death of two guards with an estimated wound count of 14 to 15, depending on which sources you use. All right, so all was smooth sailing for the next few years. Clarence Carnes was returned to Alcatraz, where he was incarcerated in D-Block in lockup for approximately seven years after the escape attempt, and he was supposedly sailed right next to Robert Stroud, the infamous Birdman of Alcatraz, who we will do another story on him at another time. He was actually in lockup for having killed a guard in another escape attempt, which we did not cover in this series. But uh, finally, a brand new warden took over Alcatraz, and he was more of a reformer rather than a punisher, whereas the previous wardens had wanted to just keep everybody in view, keep them inside of the guards at all times. This guy was more of a reformer. He believed in second chances. So one of the first thing he did was remove some of the people that were in lockup that he didn't think needed to be in lockup. And one of those was Clarence Carnes. He was actually taken out of D block, put back in C block, and immediately put to work in the library. Number one, because he had read most of the books there and the librarian actually requested him and also the library was central it was just off of c and d block so it was where guards could literally keep an eye on him so he started working in the library and immediately was assigned again so guards could see him at all times to be the one that basically took the books and magazines around to the prisoners every single day picked up the returns delivered the new ones that was his job so he started to get a good view of Alcatraz. On top of that, while in lockdown, in D-Block, he had paid a lot of attention to things going on around him. So he had kind of figured out in his own mind what would be an excellent way to escape from Alcatraz. So keep that in mind as we move forward with this story. Also, this new warden did things like take the long picnic tables out of the dining hall and replace them with smaller four chair tables so that it would be more like a family style atmosphere so that allowed prisoners to have more of a private conversation at dinner without having to shout or anything like that so that guards couldn't readily hear them so also keep that in mind now let's enter the three to four major players in the escape we're about to talk about. First was Frank Lee Morris. He was born September 26, excuse me, September 1st, 1926 in Washington, D.C. He was abandoned by his mother and father during childhood, grew up in the foster home system, a 
graduated from the foster home system. No, no telling what kind of atrocities he suffered while in there. But he started uh, stealing at the age of 13 and graduated to armed robbery and possession of narcotics and selling of narcotics by the time he was in his 20s. He was arrested for stealing cars for the first time, uh, reportedly imprisoned in federal prisons such as McNeil Island in Washington, but did not do so well and attempted to escape. Finally, after another escape attempt from, a, from the Louisiana State Penitentiary, where he had been sent since breaking out of jails and prisons in Florida and Georgia, he was sent to Alcatraz on January 20th, 1960. And he had a very high IQ, an IQ of way over 100, so he was an incredibly intelligent young man. Now we have John and Clarence Anglin. Born in Georgia, May 2nd, 1930, and May 11th, 1931, so very close in age. And they were two of 13 children born in Donaldson, Georgia, even though they relocated to Ruskin, Florida, while they were still children. Uh, they were migrant workers. They traveled around doing jobs such as picking fruit and doing day labor. But uh, they did graduate, as a lot of people did, during the uh, during the Depression recovery era, eras in the 1930s and the World War II eras of the 1940s. They graduated to stealing cars and robbing banks. They were actually arrested while trying to rob a Florida bank with a toy gun. Yes, a toy gun. They never hurt anyone, but they were arrested for trying to use a toy gun. They also uh, attempted to rob banks in Alabama, Georgia, and again, arrested for robbing Columbia State Bank in Alabama, Columbia, Alabama, again, with a toy gun. So you had Alan West, he was born in New York City, March 25th, 1929. Uh, a car thief, first arrested in 1955 for attempting to steal cars. Uh, his first home was, again, the Atlanta Federal Penitentiary. And I suppose you're wondering, like I did, why a lot of these people were immediately remanded to the federal prison system rather than the state. And it's because they were car thieves, kidnappers, bank robbers, all of those especially when you take cars over state lines, automatically a federal crime. That's why. He uh, first became an inmate in Florida, then later in Atlanta. After repeated escape attempts, 20 in his lifetime, he attempted to escape from prison. He was remanded to Alcatraz also in 1961. These would be the main players, along with supposedly involvement from Clarence Carnes, who was involved in the Battle of Alcatraz that took place in 1946. Now, Alan West, uh, just like Clay, Barney Clay from our first story, had kind of developed also a roving view of Alcatraz because he was the house painter. He was a uh, he had done some house painting as a teenager, so he had experience, and so it was his job to keep things repainted and up to speed all around the prison. So as a result, 
he traveled around a lot, saw a lot, just like Claire. And we are back. Sorry about that. I had to uh, kind of amend where I was because, uh, as I said, during this quarantine, I have other people working from home, so they were on a phone call. So to avoid picking up portions of their phone call, moved outside to our porch, and you get to see our nice Chicago Bears emblem up there. Go Bears. Anyway, so back to the story. Alan West, as I said, developed kind of a bird's eye view of Alcatraz, much the same way as Clarence Carn did. He, he was walking around painting, seeing things as the same way that Clarence Carnes did when he delivered and picked up books. So you had two people. Clarence Carnes also was a very popular prisoner, and it was noted that he played chess with some very well-known mafia bosses and gang bosses from Harlem and from other places in the United States. So he had some connections, and it was Frank Morris and the England brothers that first noticed that he had connections, so it was rumored they brought him in to help with the planning. Carnes was, was said to have told them that because he was watched so closely by the guards, that it would not do the escape attempt any good for him to be actively a participant, but he would give them information, and that's the story we're going with. So, the plan was this. Because of the severe damage that Alcatraz Prison had suffered during the Battle of Alcatraz in 1946, you had a lot of rot and a lot of weakness going on in the actual structure of the prison. Namely, that utility corridor behind C Block where the three convicts were killed during the former escape attempt. You had a lot of water damage, a lot of bullet damage that was never repaired. Why? Because Alcatraz was not only a very expensive prison to operate because of its location and the fact that supplies had to be brought in every single day, but also the fact that the salt water and the other elements that pounded it daily also caused a lot of damage and general weakness to the structure. And the federal government was very reluctant to, to close it down. In fact, the current administration had discussed plans to close it several times, but because there had been no successful escape attempts, they considered it still an escape-proof prison and worth keeping over. However, I think Carnes, in the back of his mind, knew that if he could help someone be successful in escaping, they might just close it down. And I think that was his ultimate goal, to get out of Alcatraz. So that's why he helped with this. So because of the information he had, and they all knew Frank Morris was very smart, he watched things, Alan West watched things, and so they had an intimate knowledge of the weaknesses of the building itself. And so they determined that the best course of action would be, and namely, the Anglins, Morris, and West all lived in a single line on C Block. They were right next door to each other, so it was fairly easy for them to communicate. And they also knew, because of the progressiveness of the current warden, that every night, right after dinner, all the inmates had an hour to practice music. He had actually allowed them to form a band, which Al Capone was actually a part of, uh, most accounts said that the band was no better than an elementary school class, music class, banging around on instruments, but it made, the, made everyone feel good, so they allowed them to practice and play, and everybody wanted to be part of this band. So as a result, the prison store actually started selling musical instruments that the, that the convicts could buy. And so all of the, the participants in this 
Escape had taken up an instrument, as had a lot of people on C Block. So for that musical hour every night after dinner, there was a lot of noise. And that would allow them to do the work they needed to do without being discovered. Also, Frank Morris decided he would take up an accordion instrument. And he would not only learn to play it, he would learn to make it a tool to help in their escape, which we'll talk about later. So the initial plan was using shanks made from spoons smuggled out of the mess hall. Remember, you had Alan West walking around. He could just pick stuff up. The same with Carnes. You had stuff being smuggled out. Also, because of the federal government's lack of necessity in repairing the old equipment at Alcatraz. You had a lot of the metal detectors that would sound off randomly when no one had anything metal on them. So that was how they played it. They did it. They smuggled spoons out of the mess hall to turn into shanks by simply, you know, sharpening down the edge and making it a chip-like instrument. They got these spoons out by virtue of doing it randomly when they were betting on the fact the guards wouldn't, wouldn't frisk whoever went through because of the way that the uh, metal detectors were often unreliable. So they got lucky. A lot of things fell into place for this. Also, Alcatraz Industries was still booming and they made a lot of money helping the federal government and doing stuff for the military. As a result, because of also these metal detectors, they were able to smuggle a star drill out of the machine shop to help also with their plan. So a lot, as I said, a lot of things fell into place. The plan was for them to essentially chisel the air duct grates out of the backs of their cells in such a way that it would remain in one slidable piece because the concrete there was soft because of the damage. They would work on chiseling that out every single night. And once it was done, they would be able to simply remove it, slide through into that utility corridor behind C, slide it back in. No one would ever know they were gone. And then from there, they could proceed down the utility corridor till they got to a grate that both Carnes, Morris, and Wes knew about that was in the ceiling. It's a metal grate secured to concrete with bolts, but the bolts were soft and the concrete was soft from all the water damage. So they were able to use, they were going to use the star drill. They had smuggled out of the machine shop to cut through those bolts, remove that grate, go up through, end up on the roof where they would be able to run to one of the edges of the roofs to one of the guard towers they knew was not manned after dark, again because of their attempts to save money for the prison. It was not manned, so they would be able to basically shimmy down a drain pipe on the side of the building, run down to the, to the ocean, use wire cutters that they also smuggled out of the machine shop, and cut through the fencing at the bottom run down and they would be nothing but them in the ocean. Now the problem was how do they get across the ocean because it was very choppy, very cold, you could freeze to death in just a few minutes. Also, the prison guards and the prison administration had long let it be known that there were sharks, man-eating great white sharks, although that has never been proven. There are actually man-eating great white sharks in uh, San Francisco Bay. But that was a rumor started to, you know, 
further discourage anybody from trying. So, basically, all this started December 1961 with the smuggling of everything out. And each night during music time, they would literally start chipping away at the grate. Now, of course, that creates quite a mess. And how did they deal with that mess? Well, in two ways. They used green paint, or paint the same green color as the walls that Alan West had smuggled out of utility, again, because he was a painter and knew where all that stuff was and was able to get small amounts out. They would use that paint, some of the concrete dust that they had just chiseled out, toilet paper, and they would use that to patch up the crack around the grate so that it would slide in and out and they would make it painted every day looks like cement when it dried and they covered up the smell using eucalyptus oil and liniment they were able to get from the prison uh, commissary for minor aches and pains so these guys really thought it out with the help of Clarence Carnes all right so now there was the problem of nightly bed checks where the officers would walk up and down the halls counting heads in the bed so they had to make it look as if they were in bed even though they might be huddled at the back of their cell in the dark working or even inside the walls when they were trying to make actually make the escape so also using cement uh, cement dust toilet paper also cigarette ash that a lot of prisoners because they wanted to see this escape go down gave them and toilet paper paint they made kind of a paper mache like substance and actually uh, and actually fashioned a, a mannequin head to put in their bed at night so it looked like they were there and because one of the Anglin brothers also worked in the prison barber shop he saved a bunch of hair and they used that to make the hair for the dummy heads also this just goes on and on this is a comedy of errors also because Alcatraz was not well known for inventorying things and West knew this he knew that they could steal raincoats from the textile area of the industry section and use them to fashion a raft and life, uh, life jackets for all the participants and they did that Every so often they would steal a raincoat until they had accumulated 50. Again, Alcatraz did not inventory anything because, I don't know, they were lazy. And they were able to do that. Also because of his influence in the library, Carnes was actually able to get a, an issue of Popular Mechanics that actually had an article on making a life jacket and a raft out of raincoats. <laughs> to the Morris to the Anglin brothers and Frank Morris so they were able to work on this with help from the library remember in our first episode how we talked about them censoring everything well again this warden was a reformer he did away with that he thought they had a right to the truth and they were able to, to use that to their advantage all right so from December to June December's 1961, June of 1962, they literally 
worked on their plan. Every night during music hour, they would chip a little bit of their grate away, and then they would repair it with the concrete dust and the paint. They also worked on their dummy heads, which they kept hidden in their cells. And finally, once they'd actually broken through the grates, they were able to hide everything that they used in the corridor, including the raincoats, and they were able to sneak, use the heads that they had constructed to make it look as if they were in their cells every night, and they would actually slip into the corridor right after music hour every night and put the great backs so that looked like they were there. It was lights out, so it was dark, and they had their head in the bed so that they would make head check. And they would literally work on the raincoats and the life jackets in the corridor after dark. They also used the star drill to cut partially through the bolts that held the ceiling grate in the corridor. So they were literally ready, ready to go. Finally, the big night. June 11th, 1962, the England brothers, Frank Morris and Alan West, decided that they would go, go ahead and go start going through their wall. They did. They put their plan into motion. And... The England brothers and Frank Morris easily slipped from their cell into, into the corridor. Alan West was not so lucky. When he fully removed his grate, because he had not been helping with the actual construction of the, the life jackets and the inflatable boat, life raft, he had been working more getting them the supplies, so he had only been working kind of on his grate. And when he went to remove his grate, there was actually an iron uh, bar there that he had not expected that blocked him from actually getting in. So he was actually prevented from leaving his cell. Frank Morris and the Anglins actually told him, we'll leave a life jacket, and they had actually fashioned two rafts, a small... They said they would leave the smaller life raft and a life jacket and a paddle, the paddles they had fashioned out of pieces of wood that other inmates had smuggled to them for him, and if he could make it, to come on. So he stood there trying to chip that bar out while the England brothers and Morris slipped into the corridor, put the grates back in place, ran down the corridor, very easily finished cutting through the bolts of the ceiling grate, slipped through up to the roof, ran easily across the roof to the unmanned uh, guard tower, shimmied down the uh, drainage pipe to the ground, ran down to the, to the fencing, cut through it, went down to the edge of the water, easily able to inflate both their life jackets and the life raft with the accordion that... Uh, Frank Morris had converted to an air pump and supposedly disappeared into San Francisco Bay. Now, here is the kicker. Alan West was able to finally get through. He ran down trying to catch up with them, but by the time he had gotten to the roof, he had sort of lost steam, didn't want to risk going it on his own, so he got rid of the extra paddle, the life jacket, and the life raft. He went back to his cell attempted to patch up his wall but because he had done so much chipping to get rid of that bar it was kind of just there he knew he was caught so he just kind of smoked a cigarette in his cell and waited for them to you know put him in the hole so to speak in the meantime you know it's normal prison morning they're doing their head counts they realize three prisoners are missing an alarm sounds they start a full-fledged investigation 
They do take Alan West into custody, put him in the hole, start interrogating them. He gave them what information he knew would be safe to give them as to not give away any of their plans because the plan was for them to escape to a South American country like Brazil with no extradition. And he gave them just enough so that they wouldn't punish him for it, but that he wouldn't give away their plan either. And as a result, these men were actually gone and in a way had escaped from Alcatraz. Now, what happened to them? Were they alive? Did they drown in the bay? Well, a few days after, a Coast Guard did pull, start pulling life jackets, makeshift life jackets out of the bay, which led them to believe that perhaps they had drowned and been eaten by fish or just sunk to the bottom without the life jackets, or they could have been thrown there by the actual men themselves when they got out of the water to tr throw people off their trail. They also started finding the paddles that they used to paddle the boat across the bay. Again, no trace of human, of, of human remains or anything in the bay, and they dredged the bay for several weeks afterwards looking. Never found a thing. There have been two theories, that they made it to nearby Angel Island and from there made it to the San Francisco mainland and disappeared. The other theory, because there was an unknown vessel located by the Coast Guard in the bay that very night between midnight and 2 a.m., there is a lot of suspicion that because of Clarence Carnes connections to certain crime bosses that were already in Alcatraz but could still command people outside that someone had arranged for a boat to meet them halfway to San Francisco and had actually picked them up and taken them wherever they go. And it was only because of that report of an unknown vessel by the Coast Guard in San Francisco Bay at that time that that tends to be the prevailing theory. Also, Clarence Carnes was said to have received a postcard from the Anglin brothers, uh, postmarked Rio, like in Brazil, that said gone fishing a few months later. So nobody knew if Carnes was lying or he actually did receive this postcard, but he did produce a postcard. He did receive a postcard with those very words written on it, whether it was faked. We don't know, but it was postmarked Rio. Also, as you can imagine, the Morris, friends of Frank Morris and the England family who were still alive and well in Florida were, of course, staked out and tailed by the FBI to see any suspicious people that may show up. It was noted that the boy's mother received a unknown delivery of flowers from an unknown secret admirer every year on her birthday until she died after the boys disappeared. No postmark, no signature, but it was received every year on her birthday and Mother's Day once the boys escaped. Also, when she died, there was supposedly two very tall, unknown women appeared with dark sunglasses appeared at her funeral. Before the FBI could question them, they disappeared. Were these the England brothers? We may never know. The authorities would have us believe they drowned in San Francisco Bay, while others say that no, they indeed made it to South America. And there have been numerous sightings, but you can also say that this was simply, you know, Elvis-like sightings, but who knows? What do you think? In any regards, they were gone from Alcatraz, and as a result, Attorney General... Uh, 
Attorney General Robert Kennedy closed Alcatraz in March of 1963, and all of the prisoners were sent to other prisons. Um, Clarence Carnes died, uh, actually ended up in Leavenworth, was actually paroled in 1973, but was back because he had lived nowhere else in prison. So he just basically did a stupid crime and ended up right back because he didn't know how to function outside of prison, and later died in 1983 with uh, AIDS-related complications all the time claiming that the England brothers were still alive. There you go. Oh, Alan West, he actually was later on paroled, but then ended up dying of peritonitis at a charity hospital at the age of 49. So all of these men had pretty sad ends. But Alcatraz was closed as a result of this, and the end of an era, Alcatraz was converted to a stop in the federal park system and it's a huge tourist attraction now with over one million visitors a year and it's one of my places my bucket list places to go and actually tour so i'll take some pictures if i, I get a chance to do that if we ever get out of quarantine anyway i hope you enjoyed that but what's your opinion on what happened in 1962 at alcatraz did they escape or did they live it up in South America, or did they die in the bay, as authorities would have us think? Let me know down below what you think. Also, if you'd like to support the channel, links are down below. Thank you so much. Like, comment, share, subscribe. Until next time, Keto Comic, out.